How is everybody this evening? Let me do the typical African thing. The churches in Nairobi greet you. Do you receive their greetings? I'm seeing not, no, you're, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to clap. Let me try again. Okay, when I say do you receive their greetings, you go, okay, and you have to do it in unison. Okay, the gr- churches in Nairobi greet you. Do you receive their greetings? There we go. You guys are so good. Have you been to Africa? Can I send the greetings back? You guys are really getting acclimated to culture. This is excellent. Where are we here? There we are. Okay. We're the Hoffmans with Africa Inland Mission. Nancy's sitting right there. Uh, We've been blessed in having ministry for quite some time. As of March of this year, Nancy and I have been with AIM for 35 years. Long time. 25 of those years have been living in Africa, not making visits, not doing short-term, living there. And we've been blessed by having great relationships with unreached people groups, building friendships. And uh, we've been blessed by seeing people not only come to faith in Christ, but move forward in that faith. I see a lot of people that have no idea who I am. That's good. This is a whole new generation I can start telling snake stories and baboon stories to. (laughs) Uh, Actually, yeah, tell them. And anyway, Nancy and I have a long history with Timberlake. Just want you to let you know, we went to, we met at Piedmont Bible College back then. That was the name of it. It was Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Nancy's parents were down here in Lynchburg. I'm originally from New Jersey. And because I, I really fell in love with this young woman, we'd come up to Lynchburg and come visit, and this is the church that she came to. We developed some really good, strong friendships here, starting from the late 70s. And then, um, uh, even though Nancy's parents did not go to church, this is where Lynchburg is where Nancy got saved, and she needed to find a good church to come to, and here's where we landed. Great place to be. Nancy and I started our missionary journey in 1987, living with unreached people groups in the remote area of northern Kenya, and Timberlake was partnered with us for most of that time. Timberlake has partnered with us for over 30 years of ministry. So a lot of the results that have come have become, come because of the prayers that were given on our behalf in this building and in the previous building, the support that you've given, and the friendship that you guys have given You've encouraged us in so many different ways. Nancy and I, when we would spend our home assignments, we would often spend it here and invest ourselves in Timberlake. This is a great church to invest in, whether you are a missionary or not. And I would encourage you to do that. We worked with nomads who were mostly illiterate, so you couldn't pass out tracts. That was very difficult. And they believed that the only real sin you could do was kill somebody from your own people group. And you imagine saying to them, Jesus died for your sin, and their thinking is, I have no intention of killing somebody from my own people group. Killing somebody from another people group was not a problem, was not an issue. If I steal, this is another thing we go to, what about stealing? That's a sin. Well, stealing you deal on a community level. Once the community agrees to it, you're done. I don't need Jesus to pay for my sin. If I stole a goat and I give four back, the sin is done with. Why do I need Jesus to pay for my sin? He is not going to give me four goats to pay for that. Trying to give an understanding what sin is and what the need for the gospel is. 
was very challenging at that time. So you start off with, this is a Bible, and this is the book of Genesis, and you go from there. And from that period of time, Nancy and I were able to uh, do church planting, evangelism, and discipleship for over 20 years, and then move to different areas of AIM. We had a great ministry of reaching people for the gospel and then training people to take my place. <clears throat> we came back in 2007, and for about 10 years, we focused on mobilization. Even when we started out in Kenya for those 20 years, we tried to mobilize the Kenyans out there to go to other people groups. We had a people group called the Samburu that we worked with for 13 years, and we tried to get them to talk to their tribal enemies for, five, for a number of years. It was hard for them to do that. And trying to get them motivated to missions was difficult, but we tried. We worked at it. <clears throat> and mobilization was a very important to us. It's not my job, it's our job moved forward with the power of the Holy Spirit alone. So we did good Bible teaching, solid teaching, and motivated people to missions. <clears throat> in 2017, Nancy and I were asked to return to Kenya for four years, help with the administrative side of ongoing ministries in Kenya and Tanzania. In the end, we actually completed five years. And we stayed there for this last year. Uh, there was a transition in leadership. They asked me to take over leadership of both Kenya and Tanzania for about six months. It's still standing. It's still good. And then the leader that was supposed to really come in uh, came in in January, and I transitioned him in as well. So it was a long, long one year this last year. We handed over in my uh, job as, uh, in, in our ministry. I handed that over to a Kenyan, and that's being continued by a Kenyan. So being asked to go to Nairobi, it's a bit different. It's not the bush. Let's see, where are we here? There we go. So this is the game park there in Nairobi. Can you imagine that, Kyle? It's telling your son, man, you've got to go to the game park. You're looking at the city right there. There's the zebras going by. Awesome animals here. But then as we moved over to Nairobi, it was a total different ball game. Um, Instead of coming back to the bush, we moved to Nairobi, the capital city of Kenya, and moved to an area about two miles from the Kibera slum. The Kibera slum is the largest in Africa and the third largest in the whole world. And we were about two miles from there. <clears throat> We've only been back a short time. Let me see if I can get this thing actually working. People have asked me, what snake stories do you have this year? Sorry. None. Didn't see any snakes, very disappointing. Tried. This is the closest I came. Three-horned chameleon. It looked at me cross-eyed. Okay, so that's, that's my big adventure. <clears throat> People have noticed me limping, and although I'd like to say it's a result of finding off a leopard while saving orphans, the simple fact is I just need hip surgery. So there goes that story right out the window. And I'm finding out so many of you have also had the same thing. <clears throat> One of our biggest dangers in Nairobi this past five years is trying to avoid getting hit by a car, but all you have to do is cross Timberlake Road. You don't have to go to Africa to do that. <clears throat> There's still some weird creatures like this one on a compound. There was a time when a mongoose ran into our office. We almost mobilized it. 
but it ran out. For those who know me well, I'd like to say there were no baboons out in Kenya at, at where we were at all, thank God. I will have to say this tortoise on the compound has made multiple attempts to run me over. It is a very fast tortoise, I do want to say that. But the most dangerous animal on our compound is our purebred German shepherd who identifies as a Labrador retriever. Not dangerous at all. We had people crawl over the fence, and the dog just sat there and watched them. Okay, thank you, sir. That being said, being close to Kibeta slums is not a pleasant place to be. There is a lot of desperate people with a need for resources, especially during COVID. When everything shut down, people lost their jobs. The slums are people who live there that have temporary jobs or day-to-day jobs, hand-to-mouth jobs. There's also a place where people stir up trouble and start riots. We've had riots just down the street from us. And although we lived with lions and leopards in the past ministries, our security members were tighter in Nairobi than they were out where we lived in northern Kenya. We live in the same compound as our office, and we began our last five-year ministry doing administration and keeping outreach moving forward. I worked in the personnel department, and what that involved is opening up new areas of ministry and placement of new missionaries. Deputy executive officer overseeing over 100 missionaries in Kenya and Tanzania. Nancy worked in acclimating new missionaries as orientation coordinator and short-term coordinator. We have a thriving short-term where we try and get people invested in outreach ministry and put them alongside a missionary that is doing outreach ministry. We do not want anybody finishing a short term and saying, I've done missions. We want people to do a short term and actually say, where do I fit in in missions? We don't take short termers for them to check a box. We want them to come out and see, is this where God wants me? And we try to facilitate that as best I can, best we can. This thing jumps. Early on, when I first got to Kenya, I went up in northern Kenya into the Marsabit district, the central capital of that area where I worked. I didn't actually get to some of the places where we actually did ministry. But I sat down at a restaurant, and I was going to eat food, and... Within 15 minutes, 13 people that I had done ministry with in some of the locations that I had worked with came up to me. They were excited to see me. They started talking about what they were doing. And so many of them were invested in ministry. The people that I have up there, most of those people were in my youth groups, were in my church. I had an opportunity of discipling some of them, and they are continuing on with some of the churches that I've left behind in their hands, and it's still continuing. Man over on the, uh, my left on the bottom, uh, he seems pretty scruffy. His name is Izako. He was a nomad. He was a pastoralist. He took care of his dad's animals. And I used to send him with biblical tapes that he could listen to at the end of the day so he could listen to the Word of God as he's sitting around the fire after watching the animals. He became an evangelist, and he is now an integral part of the, the church that I pastored. Guy next to him, Boraco is studying right now and has almost finished uh, with uh, his Bible training. 
he uh, wanted to be invested as a pastor, he took on a new name. His name is Brian. So Brian is still in Kalacha, pastoring a church. And that's encouraging to hear that that ministry continues to go on. It is very humbling. You know, you walk away after 20 years of ministry wondering what's going to happen with these people, but you've done the best you can, and now it's, they're in the hands of the Holy Spirit, and you see the Holy Spirit continue to work in their lives, and you are amazed at what God does without you. And we are very, very encouraged to see these people moving forward in ministry. I heard also that the church, one of the churches that we planted, Los Kiriachi, look at that thing. It's made of cedar posts, dirt floor, corrugated tin roof. That was my first church. It's still continuing, and the people got together and said, we need to build a bigger church. And so they got together, they put all their money together, and they were building a block church over in that place. And to get block up there is almost impossible. And yet they feel, felt the need to continue that church, build it sturdier, build it stronger, so it could accommodate the people so that they could hear the word of God. Very encouraging. And now we come to Nancy's ministry. Now, you guys see me all the time. I'm standing in front, oh, Brian's coming, he's going to tell a story and things like that. You really see Nancy. I do want to say this much. I'm starting with Nancy's ministry, but I also want to step aside and emphasize how valuable she is to our ministry. You rarely, if ever, see her up there telling snake stories or encounter with both four-legged and two-legged predators, as I have. But even these encounters, Nancy never said that we should leave ministry because of dangers and struggles. We've killed very poisonous snakes in our house. Nancy just points to it and says, kill it. But she never says, we're leaving. Because her calling was my calling as well. We had separate callings when we met. Nancy's calling was to missions. And never did she ever say, we need to get out of here. It's too dangerous. We need to leave and go someplace else. We need to go back to the States. That's the quality of woman God gave me. Her calling was a separate calling, and her her role uh, allowed the longevity and depth of our ministry that cannot be overstated. And though you don't see her up front, she has been an active part in our outreach and instrumental in keeping me on the field for as long as I have been. That's the gift I have. These last five years as orientation coordinator, Nancy was involved in language acquisition, which is an important part of AIM's focus on successful outreach. She taught the basics of how to learn a language in Nairobi to our missionaries, but also took her to Tanzania a couple times to help people in their language learning. Nancy was also involved in our African-based orientation, but she was more involved with the children. Parents get the call from God and all of a sudden just get focused. This is where we need to be, and that's great. Some of them choose really tough places, and now the kids are totally disorientated. I'm leaving everything to what? And though the parents try and relate that to them, it is hard for a child to understand, I'm leaving everything I know to do what? How am I going to find friends? And it's a new language. It's a new group of people. I might be the only person there of my culture there. Now what do I do? And Nancy has been there as part of our orientation program, talking to the children, talking them through language, and how to live a life in Africa. She's been very, very instrumental in helping kids understand the ministry that God has called the parents to do. When you see Nancy, 
and wonder what she's wearing. Some people have said, uh, what's this? I thought you guys were in Africa. What are you doing wearing Indian clothes? Well, Kenya has a multiplicity of ethnic groups, and one of those are people from, two of those are people from Pakistan and India. They are very hard to reach people. And Nancy has spent a lot of time talking to uh, South, what we call South Asians, who are considered an unreached people group. These are some of the unreached people groups that live in Nairobi, and her outreach involved working with them. Most of them are Muslims and Hindu. One of your friends was a Buddhist, if I remember right. Yeah. So Nancy had her opportunity of investing in some of these people, and you can see that she was very, very welcome in some of the important rituals that are involved in these cultures. Nancy made some really good friendships and was ever able to share her faith in Jesus Christ with these South Asians. As personnel, my responsibilities had me in communication with our international office, who were mobilizing people from Hong Kong, Australia, Canada, Europe, the U.S., and Brazil, just to name a few. We worked together to find the right people for an ongoing work with the unreached in Kenya and Tanzania. One of the things that we really worked hard to do was find people that would come for longevity. It's great to come out and share the gospel. We want people to share the gospel and disciple. And that means getting involved in the language and the culture, understanding the people, and that takes time. And we are looking people for, to come out and spend time with Africans so they can do effective discipleship ministry. That has always been important to us. So also again, um, this also uh, meant getting involved with our leadership. So our leadership in Kenya and Tanzania, we'd meet twice a year and start talking about, okay, what's, how do we reach the next unreached people group? Or how do we bring an unreached people group to reached status? What do we need? Who do we need? What life skills do we need? The way we work it here in, uh, in AIM, all our ministry opportunities come from the ground up. That way if somebody says, well, I want, to, I want to be a doctor and I want to work in northern Kenya. Well, unless we have an opportunity up there, we'll have to say no. We're not going to create an opportunity. We're looking for the church leaders and the missionaries there to say this is what we need. And so we look for people like that. So that was part of my job on the ground. So we would talk to the, the leaders in Kenya and Tanzania and trying to open up these ministries. So we would look to... There we go. So we're looking to find people that are willing to look in the cities. We have people that are doing businesses missions up in Northern Africa and things along that line. Africa is not all bush. I mean, we, we did that. We were the National Geographic type missionaries. Yeehaw, that was our life. But there's a lot of opportunities in cities. In Nairobi itself, there is a huge Somali population. And one thing about Somalis, they are still in danger there in Kenya, even when they come to faith. There's a place in Nairobi called Little Mogadishu, and the reason why is the Somalis just have taken it over. And they have stood up and said there is no such thing as a Somali Christian. If you find one, kill him. And I spent some time with Somalis before, and the Somalis said, you know, it's hard being a Somali believer. We cannot go to the Somalis because we're believers. We cannot go to the church because we're Somalis. There is a great need for discipleship among Somalis in Nairobi. So we got involved in finding outreach areas for people to film. 
As personnel, I also worked with some of the people that would come out. These are the two couple, Boris and Endes from Hong Kong, really good friends of ours. They know where all the Chinese food is. And it's good. And then also sometimes people would come out and I'd be able to take them over to their ministry location and get them acquainted with the missionaries that are there. That was part of my responsibilities, as well as things like um, conflict resolution and working through uh, missionaries' locations, and if they needed to change location, things along that line. I was not a pastor this time. In the 20 years that we were up in northern Kenya, I did a lot of pastoring. I planted church and pastored. This time, not to be the case. But we got invested in a lot of the churches that are there. There are a lot of good, strong Christian churches there in Nairobi proper. And we invested in one, AIC Plainsview. Uh, the pastors there are well-trained, and we sat under their ministry for quite some time. <clears throat> and so, um, as a result, we were able to uh, be uh, taught, and, and uh, we were able to teach in a number of occasions as well in a number of different churches China has a big influence on my family. Most of my kids, well, Tina, Jeremy, Nancy, myself, we all went to China to do ministry here and there. Uh, Tina actually stayed in China for about a couple years. And while she was there, she asked us to come out and visit her, February of 2019. Very interesting. Here we come from the warmest time of Kenya to the coldest time of China. We go there and our skin almost cracks. We're getting so cold there. And we go there and we see what, Kate, what uh, Tina's doing. We go to the school that she's going to and she said, by the way, I've got a group of pastors together and church leaders and they want you to teach them about missions. And so for a number of days, went here, there, taught a little bit. Okay, people are coming, get in the back room, that sort of thing. We taught about missions. Very, very interesting. There are no mission organizations that are available to these Chinese pastors. So I had them all get into groups, and I said, if you were going to have a missionary, if you as a church would get together with other churches and support a missionary to go somewhere, what would you require as their qualifications? So we had them go, they talked for a little bit, and then they came back and we started talking. Okay, what? Oh, that's a good one, that's a good one, that's a good one. But then... They also said, well, what we require as well is that if a missionary, we choose a missionary, he has to be willing to suffer. I'm thinking, well, I don't think AIM is going to put that on their application. Very astounded over that. That desire that if we're going to have a quality missionary, they have to be ready to suffer. Interesting. After hours, I took the opportunity to teach. I taught a Bible course called the BTCP. Bible Training Center for Pastors. It's out of Atlanta. It was written by uh, Dr. Mock, who actually <coughs> was a missionary for a short time in Kenya. And so we, after hours, after this, uh, I taught two to three times a week, two hours each time. And we have two guys there, Paul and Amos, that are our gate guards. Amos actually came down from the Dasanach. We asked him to come down so he could get Bible training. There was no pastor in his people group. And so he came down to be trained. We gave him a job as a gate guard so that he could get an income, send some income to his family. 
And Amos is from the people group called the Dasanach that lives all the way to the top of northern Kenya. And he came down, and we taught, and he listened. When the churches closed down because of COVID, the government says, well, you can still have 10 people meet together. Aha, good, there's our opportunity. So we had a church under the trees. A lot of African churches have started under the trees. You start meeting under a tree, and the next thing you know, a building's built. Well, we have these two students. We have church under the trees. And we got our two students to be the pastor or the teachers of the Bible time during Sunday services. You want to see people get nervous. There's two teachers staring at them while they preach. Very nerve-wracking. But they did a great job. And all during COVID, these two young, these two men did the church service in preparation for doing that later on in ministry. Amos, after finishing the second year uh, Bible course, he returned to his people group in northern Kenya, the Dasanach, and now he is there. He's still a pastor. The Dasanach have no money at all. So he's still supplementing his income by herding his animals. This is him. We had sent him uh, money to buy a goat. Church provided that for him. And there was a severe drought, so it was able to keep him going. Paul is still our gate guard, but Paul loves evangelism. And that time of studying Bible gave him the wherewithal to start talking to Muslims about faith in Jesus Christ. And so he uses that in his evangelistic efforts. And then we had Loki and Daniel come. Paul would come and help with the, on Sundays. And Loki and Daniel, Loki was also from the Dasanach. Daniel was a local man that was also a gate guard, but he was also an elder in his church, and they came and studied Bible with me. There we go. So Loki went, to, um, went back to northern Kenya, got some more studies in, and then um, David, who was ordering an elder in his church, has been encouraged by his pastor to go into full-time ministry, and David is considering that. So, like we said, in the last five years, we've developed a ministry of encouraging uh, people to, into missions. We have Ken and Alice Basia, who are working with the Somalis. We have Maureen, who is working in Mozambique. In keeping with other, uh, mobilizing others to ministry, both Nancy and I have been reaching in a training program, teaching in a training program called Go. And what that is, is we take people and we train them for two weeks and then put them in an outreach area. Happens every late June, early July. So for two weeks, I am the main speaker, and we have other people come in and teach. And the whole idea is to train them before they go out to this outreach area, and they do that for about five weeks, and then come back, and we do a debrief with them. So uh, we had some Kenyans, and again, that's keeping with our, our pace in trying to mobilize Kenyans. We did that in 2021, 2019, and then we finished in July of this year, uh, Go 2022. We teach African culture, Islam and Muslim outreach, spiritual warfare, the gospel and African culture, methods of outreach and discipleship, spiritual disciplines, being versus doing. A lot of times people in ministry consider what they do for God is the same thing as who they are before God and their quiet time goes to the side. And then language acquisition and conflict resolution. 
Nancy and I plan on doing that again next year. Our plan is, even though we're on home assignment, our home assignment is uh, from now until March. Uh, we plan, they've already asked us to come back, so we'll be teaching that GO program again and working together again with the orientation that they'll have around that time. So around this time next year, Nancy and I, Lord willing, will be gone for three months in Africa, spending time there. I don't think I want to leave that country totally, totally yet. But in the meantime, AIM has asked if we might still be involved in what we were involved with before we left for these last five years, and that would be in mobilization. So we're working through that and looking through what that looks like so that we can again mobilize that next generation. We're finding across the board over many mission organizations, those people willing to go out and go to the hard places are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. So pray for us as we continue to do that. Pray for this hip issue I have. Um, I'm going to see a doctor not next week, but the week after. We'll see how that works out. And then also pray for us as we settle in. We came back July 20th. We actually came to Lynchburg August 10th. So we've been traveling around in that period that we've been back. Pray that the dust settles sometime soon. It'd be good to be able to sit down and relax and get some things going. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thanks for standing with us. Well, thank you, Brian, for that update. So encouraging to hear what God's doing, has been doing in Kenya. So if you would stand, we're going to sing this to the Lord. Um, as we heard this morning, we've all been given gifts to be used for this mission.
my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Amen. You may be seated. A couple years ago, I sat down with... Um, a few men at the Shepherds Conference, and they invited me to attend a, a presentation where Shane Kohler was presenting Mark, a Kenyan pastor going to Nairobi for a church plant. And then a little bit later, found out Kyle was heading that way as well to support that ministry, and so we connected and looking forward to seeing his vision and his passion for, for this ministry. Now, yesterday morning we had breakfast together, some men, and just kind of had a chance to get to know him a little bit and went around the room and these men shared and you have Ryan's there and Steve Smith's there and Mark Jacobson's there and then 80 years of experience combined here. Then you come to Kyle and says, what do I say? I've got, you know, they've got 80 years on the counter and he's coming out of the gate getting ready to go. It's kind of exciting to see a, a young couple with uh, all the unknowns and just willing to go without all the answers, not all the certainties, not knowing exactly what everything looks like but uh, willing to go and willing to serve in this capacity. So I trust even this evening after the, his, his time and as we have a time of fellowship, that you have a chance to come alongside them and uh, introduce yourself and get to know them. He's here with, the, with his wife, Maya, and their two boys in the back. So a blessing to have them in our midst. Cal, if you will. Hello. Let me just say this, it's one thing to endeavor to, by God's grace, serve the Lord overseas for decades. It's another thing to see faithful men do it for decades. I feel unworthy. I feel like a boy amongst men after following these, these great brothers who have led the way. So for that, I'm truly grateful and humbled to be here. And let me say this, I'm thankful to be at Timberlake. I'm thankful for the partnership that we can have as we seek to be faithful to the Great Commission as we serve in Nairobi, Kenya. I think of what Paul wrote to the church of Philippi when he says this in chapter 3, verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is encouraging the believers there to follow other faithful believers. And let me say thank you to all the missionaries who've already presented. I have an easy path to follow because of your faithfulness. So thank you for that. I was asked to share just, um, since I don't have all the decades of experience, I'm just going to talk about my personal testimony, what is missions, and then how we plan to serve. So I wasn't raised in a Christian family. The church was never a priority. We would go to church on occasion, occasionally, but it was only for Christmas and Easter. And even then, it wasn't about the birth and resurrection of Christ. It was about a man, an overweight man in a red suit and a hopping bunny. Christ was never the priority in, our, in my home, in the, in the home I grew up in. My own understanding of Christianity was this. I wore a cross. I knew that Jesus died. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know why he had to die. But I would call myself a Christian even though I was practicing sin and lawlessness. And I was a child of the devil. It wasn't until my junior year at a football practice 
um, a friend invited me to a church that clearly preached the gospel. And I was intrigued by Jesus. I was intrigued by the word of God because I myself called myself a Christian. It wasn't until three months later where the Lord finally convicted me and broke me. I heard the true gospel over and over again that all of us deserve God's wrath and the only way that we can be pardoned and forgiven is by repenting and believing in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. And it was October 27, 2010 that I walked into that church dead, an enemy of Christ, a lover of self, and the Lord brought me to repentance and faith by His grace. And I walked out there having peace with God, no longer an enemy, a child of God, no longer a child of the devil. And it was pretty simple. I repented and believed, and I knew from that moment on, by God's grace, I would follow at all costs to be faithful to Him. And that's what we seek to do even now as we seek to go to Kenya. And, and, and maybe for some of you people, especially younger people who think about missions, maybe it is a romantic idea. And especially for me, as I was a young believer, I was listening to men like Paul Washer. And if you listen to Paul Washer, you're ready to run through a wall for the sake of Christ. And that was me. I was all zeal, but I had no knowledge. All I knew was that Jesus Christ saved me. That's it. That I deserved wrath in Christ through his work and his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, saved me. And I would want to tell that to other people, that he was the only way. There's no other name given among men by which men must be saved. And so here I was, a young believer, grew up in a wealthy family. The Lord radically saved me that day. And I just knew whatever the Lord would have me to do, I just want to be faithful. And so I was listening to Paul Washer and I was listening to John Piper and these men talking about the billions, and peop billions of people who'd never heard the name Christ. And here I am, a young man in my car, thinking, how can the one who just radically saved my soul not be known among billions of people? And so through reading the Word of God and listening to faithful men, I just said, I will go. Here I am, a 16-year-old boy, have no understanding of the Bible. I never read. I didn't even own a Bible before conversion. It was the day that I got saved that my pastor gave me the Word of God. And so that's a little bit about my testimony. And then my family, my beautiful wife and kids, Maya Baker, we, I, I met Maya at a Christian summer camp, Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. I was captivated by her love for the Lord her crazy personality, her beauty, and her desire to be a missionary. And after a year of praying for her specifically almost every night, I told her my intentions were to pursue her for marriage. She said, I'm not opposed. The second question, yeah, real classy. <laughs> and the second question was this, are you willing to go on the mission field and die if, if needed or called to? And she said, yes. And that was it. And we stayed up till 3.30 talking. And so I have the privilege of marrying her and being married to her for over seven years now. We have a beautiful son named Rainer. Um, we're so thankful for him. We have Vodi, who is seven months old. And uh, we found out the other week that we're expecting in April. So Lord willing, we'll have an African-American, a Kenyan-American. And uh, so please be praying for my wife and that baby.
So where did I get trained? I got trained at TES. I was called to give a little plug. It's like a commercial break for the Expositor Seminary. And let me say this. I am totally biased. I think TES is the best seminary in the world for a number of reasons. I'm convinced that the scripture teaches that the pastors and shepherds of a local church have the calling and command to train up the next pastors and shepherds and missionaries and servants of the local church. And so you have these qualified men who are equipping the next generation to rightly divide God's word, to shepherd God's people, to understand theology from a biblical exegesis position, to sit in elders' meetings, to be discipled by pastors, and not only that, being trained by shepherds that you get to see their life day in and day out, how they handle criticism, how they handle the word of God, how they handle loving their wives and shepherding their family. This only happens in the context of a local church. And that's why I think TES is the best seminary. The end. And so the last few years, what have we been doing? We have been studying from 2016 to 2020. I've studied at TES and I finished my MDiv there and I've had the privilege of the whole time of serving within the church, what is, which is just as valuable as anything. Um, I, I have the privilege of the last two and a half years of serving the youth group and preaching there, which, which is a sweet, sweet blessing. And before I talk about our, our work in Kenya and what we're going to be doing, I think it's going to be helpful to just talk about what is biblical mission, since I don't have uh, PowerPoints for days and decades of the work that I've done yet, Lord willing. I thought it'd be helpful to give a, a brief sermonette, not really, of, of what is biblical missions. And let me say this, I don't know where Brother Michael is, but if you listen this morning, amen to everything he said. And so when it comes to biblical missions, I believe it's essential to have an understanding of what missions is. And I, and I say this, the Great Commission is the call to make disciples that will lead to local national churches that will then disciple and plant other local churches nationally and internationally. I have a strong conviction, and I know this church does too, that the local church is the means by which God will reach the nations. The church is the means, not individuals. The local church, as they seek to send qualified men, affirm them, give them oversight, and train them to fulfill the Great Commission. And so I think it's helpful to think of this as a, uh, a flow chart, if you will. This is what I taught at Faith Community Church to the youth group. And the first one is this. If we're going to reach the nations and we're called to make disciples, the first thing is you must be a disciple of God if we're going to reach the nations. And as Brother Michael said this morning, every Christian is called to make disciples. If you are in Christ, if you have repented and believed, you are called to make disciples. It doesn't matter your age, your education. You are called to make disciples commissioned by God. And it's inexcusable for any Christian to proclaim Christ and yet be complacent and not making disciples. Missionaries, we're not super Christians. We're not the Navy SEALs of Christianity. We are simply Christians who have been saved by God and convicted by the Word and the Holy Spirit to make disciples of all nations. 
Secondly, if we're going to reach the nations for the sake of Christ, we must be growing in obedience to Christ and students of his word. Right? I'm, I'm not going to be able to train up elders if I myself am not at the qualif- qualifications there. If I don't understand the word of God, if I don't understand theology and pastoral leadership, there's no way I can lead men to that ability because I myself am not there either. But don't be discouraged. You don't need a PhD. You don't need an MDiv to make disciples in the local church. You need to have the Holy Spirit and you need to have the written word of God. And so let me encourage all of you that you grow in Bible knowledge and theology and biblical counseling and and evangelism and memorizing the word of God and reading the word of God, not only for your own personal sanctification, but so that you can equip and encourage the brothers within this church, and if the Lord wills, to the ends of the earth. So we must be a faithful, you must be a disciple, you must be growing in knowledge, and then you must faithfully proclaim the gospel. That is how these people who have never heard of Christ will become a disciple if God grants them repentance and faith. It's only through the proclamation of the word of God. Go read the book of Acts. After the Holy Spirit is given and Pentecost happens, what does Peter do? He preaches Christ. What does Stephen do before he dies? He preaches Christ. What does Paul do after his conversion? He preaches Christ, and he preaches Christ at all costs. And if we're disciples, we must do the same thing. And then, as we proclaim the gospel, and God grants repentance and faith to some, what do we do with those people who are now proclaiming to be in Christ? In the Great Commission, it tells us, after going, we, we baptize and we teach. And I'm convinced that baptism and teaching happens predominantly in the local church. Listen to what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 4.11. And I'll just read to 14. It says this, And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine. When I was growing up, missiology was, was this. You know the gospel? Go. You know Jesus? Go. I don't hold to that position anymore. I think the man of God must be mature. He must be sent out by the church. He must be examined by the elders. And he must be equipped to do the work that a missionary, that an elder, that a pastor is called to do. But in missiology, there's this thing where people go, they show them a Jesus film. This is what I was taught at my undergrad. You show them the Jesus film, you eat their food, you get them to raise their hands, and congratulations, you have all of these converts. You tally the numbers, you go back to America, and you tell them, look at all of these converts we have. We made so many believers. That is not biblical missions. When you look at the Great Commission, Jesus tells us exactly what biblical missions is. 
He tells us to make disciples by baptizing and teaching them in the same way that my wife would never have a, a child in the hospital give birth. And then we leave the child to fend for itself and say, congratulations, we got another son or daughter. No, we would take that child. We would love that child. We would bring it up in our home to maturity. And that's exactly what biblical missions is. You call them to repent and to believe. And if those that are saved, you bring them up to maturity. You teach them to observe, to keep all that God has commanded. And so with some of those that are saved, some men will be called to be shepherds and missionaries. And this is where 2 Timothy 2.2 takes place. And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we have a disciple. You mature as a disciple. You proclaim Christ. You baptized and teach the believers. And some of those believers will be pastors and missionaries. And what do you do with them? You equip those men. You check if they're qualified according to the scriptures. The local elders affirm them. And then you send them out to plant churches that will evangelize, equip, train up men, and plant other faithful local churches. And this is not the missiology of TES. This is not some intellectual Wayne Grudem, John MacArthur's. It's not his missiology. It's God's missiology. It's, it's his methodology. Listen to what Paul does in Acts 14, verses 21 through 23. It says this, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples. Notice what they do. They preach the gospel. They make disciples. And what do they do with those disciples? Strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. And after appointing elders in these local churches, you know what Paul does? He goes to the next place and he does the same exact thing. He preaches Christ. Some come saved. He raises up elders. He entrusts these elders to the local church. And that is church planning. That is biblical missiology. And because, and because we're convinced of that, we're going to Kenya. One, because there is a great need. There's a great need for a clear gospel that has been saturate, saturated by charismatic theology and the prosperity gospel. We're going to Kenya because they need a biblical local church. And when you look at biblical missiology, the reason why we church plant, Brother Brian talked about it, even though he's gone, the church is still thriving. We church plant because churches, as they submit to the word of God and preach the word of God, will last longer than if we are there ourselves. Thirdly, why we're going to Kenya, the people are eager for expository preaching. They are hungry for God's word. There's a great partnership. I, I had the privilege of studying alongside a brother who he thinks is 50. He's from the bush of Kenya. Somebody brought him over to study at TES, and then after his studies, he went back. But before that, he was church planning for decades. And I had the privilege of studying alongside of, of him at TES, 
He said, Brother Baker, you're Kenyan. Come on. And I said, Mark, I'm willing. And, uh, and so in the Lord's providence, here we are. I'm going to assist my brother Mark Indino, a national Kenyan and a TES grad, to faithfully set up a local church by God's grace. It's sweet because we're like-minded in theology, philosophy of ministry, and I feel almost like Timothy coming under Paul, a, a young pastor, a young preacher, and I have the privilege of coming under a man who has been doing it for decades. So sweet privilege and opportunity for me. And what I'll be doing there is I'll be teaching Sunday school or like equipping hour. I'll be co-teaching the men's leadership class. I'll be teaching the youth group on Saturdays. And occasionally he goes out and does training seminars in the bush. And all of these actions are for one purpose, to establish a biblical local church, to equip the saints for ministry, to serve and plant other faithful local churches in the coming decades in Kenya. So please pray for our family and I that we would be faithful and humble servants of God. And I will pray for you that individually you will seek to be a faithful disciple and make disciples. And I'll pray for Timberlake as they join us in our endeavor to make disciples in Kenya. Thank you. So I was sitting there thinking a couple things. One, I have heard that Paul Washer sermon myself. I think that's the only sermon Paul Washer has. If you listen to him, you, you want to just run through a wall. My second thought was, you know, Brother Brian has run through the wall, and Kyle just looks like he wants to run through a wall, right? I just want it, and um, it's uh, what a blessing. Uh, one who has lots of experience and one who's about to get lots of, uh, lots of experience. Um, and isn't it a, an amazing thing that God uses people like us? Um, he doesn't need us. It's his sovereign work. Um, but he chooses to. I mean, we, what we deserve is hell. And he gives us heaven, opens our eyes to the one true and living God, and beyond that, uses us to accomplish, uh, accomplish his means. And so, um, praise the Lord. Thank you for uh, all of the services. And um, we're, we're excited to see what God's going to continue to do. So my task right now is to pray. Uh, for the food, and uh, then dismiss you. Any specific uh, instructions? All right, normally, uh, whenever I say amen, you go out those doors over here, um, and then go down the hall. Uh, line up like we normally do. Ministry Center Classroom 1 over there. We have um, uh, my favorite uh, Chinese food, not, and um, African food, my second favorite, not either. Um, so I will enjoy your fellowship. You can enjoy the food, um, but you'll be down the hall in there, get your food, and then come back in here. You'll be able to sit at the tables and, and stay as long as you like. So let me pray. Father, I am thankful um, for your great grace. I am thankful for Jesus Christ, his shed blood and gospel. I am thankful that it reached even me, and I am thankful that you're still building your church and sending people 
to be part of that, that building process. Thank you for the missionaries that have been here, uh, the ones we heard from, the ones that we didn't. Thank you for the, the ones that are mature, um, that just in their own walks of life and all different venues, some trained, some not, just who's going to go? I mean, I, I'll go. And they just went. Um, and you've used them. Um, and their zeal and then their desire, you, you have accomplished things. Thank you for um, the new ones, the ones that are seeking depth and, and knowledge, uh, and then going. Um, may you preserve the work of those that have went before them. May you use them to accomplish new works. Um, most of all, may Jesus Christ be glorified, and may his name be praised forevermore as he gathers um, his elect from the nations. And we give you thanks and pray even now for our food in Jesus' name. Amen.